You're listening to Hey Bitches Podcast, episode 112. Hey bitches, what is up you guys? It's your girl Carly. Welcome back to Hey Bitches Podcast. Hope you guys are having an incredible day. Today I am very excited to sit down with Logan from Hinge and we are going to be talking all about dating online, offline, all of the tea, right down to the science, okay? And so I'm really excited to have you. I was so excited when, you know, everybody reached out and they were like, hey, we would love to offer you an interview. I was like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. (laughs) So I'm very, very excited to have you. I would love for you to introduce yourself, tell the people who you are, your background in behavioral science. I've kind of looked you up, but I would love for you to, (laughs) to tell the people. Absolutely. So first off, Carly, just thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to our chat and I love all the stuff that you put out there. I, yeah, what about me? So my background is that I'm a behavioral scientist and that means that I look at how people make decisions and why we so often get in our own way. But my real love outside of psychology is dating and relationships. And so I've had the wonderful opportunity to combine these two things that I'm really passionate about. And so I think about how how can we make better decisions in dating and relationships and how can we get out of our own way and find love? Okay. I love that because <laughs> we have been talking a lot about dating and relationships and, you know, how to navigate the current dating climate being, you know, online dating also in a pandemic and all of that. And then I don't know if you know this, but I actually have been on a dating detox for the past six months, trying to kind of like reset my toxic kind of dating and relationship habits. And so we've been kind of documenting that for the past six months, literally the next week, the Monday, it comes to my final day of the six months of not dating. So it has been a roller coaster of a ride, but I feel like me and everybody has been learning a lot about how (laughs) I guess I'm navigating dating and sharing all of my stories and all of that. So I love that you bring the science piece to it, to relationships specifically. And I'm very excited to dive in. We have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. I'm super excited to talk to you about that because outside of my role as the director of relationship science and hinge, I also just wrote this book called how to not die alone. And a lot of it is probably exactly in line with what you're experiencing right now, which is the getting ready phase. You're like, okay, I've done the self audit. I've looked at my historical patterns. I've taken a break. I'm not burned out, but then what do you actually do to get back out there and make better decisions in the future? And so I'm really looking forward to talking about that. Oh my God, that literally sounds right up my alley. This, I feel like this, this has come at such a good time because I've done all those things. Like I'm at the six months where I'm like, ah, yes, like me and my therapist are tight at this point <laughs> type of thing. But um, I would love to just backtrack really quick to uh, what you do at Hinge. It's so cool. And I would love for you to share with the audience. Great. So my role at Hinge is really exciting because I get to be very close to the research and to the data about what's going on in dating right now. And so I joined the team in March of 2020, coincidentally, basically the week that the pandemic was exploding in the US. And so the entire (laughs) time that I've been there, we've been tracking what's going on with dating. And so we look at the basics, right? What kind of messages should you send? What should your profile look like? But we've also been looking at all of that in the context of the pandemic. And that means we're looking at the rise of video dating, the rise of people talking on the phone first, um, this term we've coined called FODA, fear of dating again. And so the main part of my job is understanding trends in dating and conducting research to see what's really going on in the dating world. 
Okay, I am obsessed with that because I'm a very analytical person. It's funny, um, I'm on vacation right now with one of my friends and we host like a clubhouse room every day, Monday through Friday about like influencer trends and updates. And people will be like, oh, how, well, how do I know what my like audience like likes and X, Y, Z. And I'm the first one to be like split tested, AV tested, see what happens. And like, I love that that is basically, oh my God, I can't wait. I'm going to apply this to all of my relationships. Not all of them, but <laughs> to dating. Yeah. So no, you know, so you aren't being skeptical about it, but sometimes people are skeptical and they're like, why are you trying to apply research and data to love? Isn't love this natural organic thing? And for them, I'd say, yes, dating, uh, love is natural. Love is organic, but dating is not. Dating is a skill. And because it's a skill, it's something that we can get better at. And so I think that if we demystify this idea that um, you should just be born knowing how to date and, you know, when it's meant to happen, it'll happen. I actually think think that that holds people back. And instead, if we say you might go to a personal trainer to learn how to use the machines at the gym, or you might have an accountant to do your taxes, like it's not crazy to think that there are relationship scientists who are looking into the dynamics of relationships and then teaching you how to date better. Okay. Super interesting because this is actually one of the questions that I got when I put up a question sticker. They were like, is director of relationship science just like a title that they have at Hinge or is this like a real thing? And I was like, no, I think it's a real thing. Like the, it makes sense in behavioral science. Like there's so many aspects of it that why wouldn't it be relationships and dating and like how that all works? Yeah. I mean, I can definitely dive into that. And so behavioral science is this field where we study how people make decisions. And so behavioral scientists would look at things like why don't more people save money for retirement or why do people know the calorie count of a donut, but still buy a bunch of things that are unhealthy for them. It's really analyzing what impacts the decisions we make. And then relationship science is the academic study of love and how love works. And so an, a relationship scientist might look at um, what happens when people meet online versus what happens if people meet at a speed dating event and how does meeting at a speed dating event affect how much you like someone and if the women sit down and approach men versus if the men sit down and approach women how does the change in that say their adrenaline or testosterone affect who they like and so it's really a scientific view at something that we're often all thinking about which is how people get together how relationships work and so I think that if we can stop thinking about dating as this thing that should be so natural and effortless and that's ruined by science and instead we can think, why wouldn't we apply science to one of the most important elements of our life? Then you can really understand why this field of relationship science is actually so helpful to people because it's empowering us to get into better relationships. I love it. I love every, my little like analytical want to know everything heart is like, yes, <laughs> I can't wait. Yay. Um, Great. Well, we'll I'm dive so in. excited. So a couple things that I kind of wanted to go over for Hinge specifically. We talk a lot about like dating apps and all of that, how to optimize your dating apps. We actually had, we have a series called He Said, She Said on here where I bring in like my closest guy friends where we kind of debate a topic from the female and the male perspective. And one of them was dating apps. And so we kind of talked about like what, you know, a majority of women want to see and what a majority of men want to see, but I would love to kind of hear it from you. You know, I would love to break down like the prompts. Like, do we do short answers, long answers, emojis, like, what are there, are there like certain pictures that perform better that we should be putting up? Like all, all the tea on how to, I guess, finesse ourselves on hinge to put us in the position of finding matches that work for us. 
Sure. Yeah. So we can definitely start um, at the beginning with that. So your profile really, really matters. I like to say that your profile is your opening line. It's kind of like if you went to a bar and you were wearing a Game of Thrones t-shirt, that's the vibe that you're putting out there. And then people at this bar are going to respond to you and they're either going to come up to you and be like, Ooh, will you be my Khaleesi? Or they're going to be like, okay, Game of Thrones, like I'm staying away. And so it's not as obvious as that, but your profile is really like setting your tone and your vibe. And it's then dominating the conversations that people will have with you. Right. And so if your profile has a lot of pictures of you camping, then people are going to ask you, Oh, when's the last time you went camping? Where's your favorite camping spot? It's going to determine what you talk about. And so absolutely people should be very, very considerate about what they put in their profile. And here are the things that we found at Hinge that help make people the most successful profile possible. So one, and this might seem obvious, but lots of people don't do it. Your first profile picture should be your best one. That's the one that people are evaluating you against. And so ideally it should be kind of like a headshot. It should have your face. It should be clear. There should not be any obstruction, right? I don't want to see sunglasses or filters. I just really want to see what does your face look like? What do you, what do you look like? The next thing is having a variety of photos. And so if you only have photos of you in front of monuments taking a selfie with your sunglasses, yes, I get that you love to travel, but I don't really see variety. I want to see you with family or friends so then I know that you have a rich social life. And so you're really storytelling within the profile and you're thinking about showing the different aspects of yourself. When it comes to the prompts, really focus on effort. If you just put um, your Instagram handle or a one word answer, it makes me feel like you weren't even willing to put effort into your profile. And so why should I expect that you're willing to put effort into dating or being in a relationship? The other thing you want to go for is a variety of humor and seriousness or earnestness. And so show me who you are. Don't be completely sarcastic, but also don't be overly serious. I also want to get a sense that you can be self-deprecating or you know how to make fun of yourself. Okay, I love that. And it's funny because my best friend, her hinge is always popping. And I think it's because she is queen of self-deprecating humor, funny like question and answer prompts. And she like actually two of my friends always have the wildest people who reply because they're just so funny and witty. And I think that's also too what I love about Hinge is that it like really forces you to answer the questions, you know, like on Tinder and Bumble and all of that, you can make your own bio and they have prompts, but it's like Hinge is like, we're not letting you get away with it. (laughs) Like you have to fill it in. And I think that kind of opens the possibility and like shows you more of people's personalities. So you can kind of like quickly decide from there. It's like an advanced filtering system that nobody really (laughs) knows is an advanced filtering system. Yeah. I mean, your friend whose hinge is popping, what do you think are some of the things that she's doing right? Um, I think one of the things that she does right is that she doesn't actually take it too seriously. Mm -hmm. So I actually found that when I started dating again, I was changing my bio to something just ridiculous every single day that was just like wild and out of pocket. And it always had the most response because I think people could tell like, oh, she's not taking it like super seriously. She's not on here like trying to find a husband from the start type of thing, which I don't think is a bad thing. I just think that, you know, before I was trying to be very much like, this is the only thing that I'm looking for and not opening myself up to like humor or just like sussing someone out. But I think for her, she doesn't really care. So everything is just kind of like a wild ride with her. And she is truly like one of the funniest people 
that I know. And then she'll end up just like in those, those paragraph on para, paragraph types of conversations with men. And I'm just like, this is so crazy. Like, I feel like you're always talking to people. Now she lacks like follow through, but on the dating app, she's popping. I think there's a lot of really wise stuff in what you just said. And I want to highlight some of it. So I think that sometimes, and right, I work as a dating coach. So I talk to, talk to a lot of people who are, let's say in their mid to late thirties, early forties, who are like, I'm done playing games. Like I know myself, I know who I want. I don't want to mess around. And that's absolutely fine, right? Those people are saying like, I'm at a point where I'm taking myself seriously, where I think that that can let lead people astray is when they say, therefore, I need to be humorless in how I present myself, or I need to be super serious on dates. And I think that that's a mistake because one thing that I notice, and Carly, I wonder if you've seen this too, is that a lot of times dating right now, it feels like job interviews. It's like, I'm going to sit across from you. I'm going to ask you these interview questions. I'm going to see if you're good enough for me. Do you fulfill the job requirements? And I'm going to say yes or no. And when you treat people like you're shopping for a spouse or like you're interviewing for the job of a spouse, it just takes all the fun and serendipity and sexuality of it. And so it's totally fine to be serious about what you're looking for, but it doesn't mean that you need to be overly serious or that the dates need to feel serious. And so my advice is to add a bit of play and fun back into things. Like talk about how you're a really bad parker and anyone who you'd have to date would have to teach you how to parallel park or shouldn't (laughs) trust you to drive. Or talk about the fact that you have an irrational fear of spiders and you hope this person doesn't. Um, On a date, what can you do to be playful? Can you go on a dumpling tour and try all the different dumpling spots in town? Or can you make up a silly game together, right? It's it's okay to be serious about what you're looking for, but you don't need to be overly serious in how you date. Okay, I love that because I think that's something that I was struggling with. So for context, like I feel like my listeners know, but for context, I've been single for almost three years at this point. And before I was like a serial dater. So I was in like a two-year relationship, a four-year relationship and an engagement, and then uh, another two-year relationship. And so this is the longest I've been single. And it's not that I'm like, I am desperate for a partner. I would like to date again, obviously. (laughs) But um, when I first started kind of like dating around after I I stopped having my like sleep around phase, I kind of did treat it like a job interview, if you will. Like it was like, do you meet all these boxes and these, these check marks and all of that? And I've kind of shifted towards like fun dates. Like I would rather go to a farmer's market or something and like be around people and like hang out or do an activity, then go for coffee or for drinks or something like that. And it's funny because I was reading one of my friend's blogs about how like she dates and she kind of said similar things about how it's so much easier to kind of assess like if you guys even have any type of like physical, I guess, chemistry If you guys are out like doing an activity versus like you're sitting across from somebody, like maybe your ankles brush, but like how much can you tell if you're like, ah, yes, we have some type of physical chemistry off of that versus like doing something like golf where you can do like a stereotypical like, oh, like I don't know how to golf like type of thing and then go from there. So I love that point. And I definitely feel like I've been veering more in towards the fun, interactive type of dates versus like you said, the job interview date. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot I can say about that. So one thing is that this is where the behavioral science piece comes in, not to be too nerdy about it, but basically people sometimes think, oh, I have a set of preferences, right? Like I always like red wine or I always like 
a scary movie. And they think that those preferences are static. But what we know from the field of behavioral science is that actually what we choose really, really depends on the environment. And so if you're at a restaurant and everyone's getting the white wine and they say that it you know, goes super well with the fish, then maybe in that environment, you're going to choose white wine. Or maybe sometimes you're just super stressed out from your job and you don't want a scary movie. And so you, in that moment, just want a really simple rom-com. And so how that relates to dating is that maybe you think like, I know what I want. I want this type of guy. And even if I met him at 7 a.m. in line to get on an airplane, I would know it when I see it. But that's not true. The environment matters. And so if you have an environment of a date that feels really sterile, we're meeting at the coffee shop, we're sitting across from each other, we're making small talk, maybe you never have that feeling of chemistry, but that's because the environment is wrong. What can you do to create a better environment? Is it a darkly lit wine bar where you are actually sitting next to each other and not across from each other? Is it, you know, as you said, playing mini golf or golf where there's physical touch and you're sort of self-deprecating because you're bad at golf? And so I think that if we can actually understand how important the environment is and create environments that lead to connection versus environments that feel like job interviews, not only are we going to like more people, but we're just going to have more fun on dates in general. I completely agree. I think that the fun element of dates is something that I was missing for a long time. And this is actually something that I talk about in therapy is that I was kind of going through it where I was hustling and grinding. And like, now I do this full time, like this is my full time job. So I was so focused on like business stuff that it really translated to dating for me. I was like, who essentially is going to help me build And I'm like, at the end of the day, like, yes, it's great to have a partner who is supportive like that, but I don't need somebody actually that I'm dating to help me like build my business and elevate my life. Like if they're interested in it, cool. Like my ex-fiance was super into photography. So he shot a bunch of my photos when I first started a blog and like, that's cool. But I wasn't like, I'm dating you to help (laughs) increase my career type of thing. So I definitely think I've been taking like the step back from that and trying to approach it in more of the fun way. And I think that a lot of the listeners will probably get a lot of value out of that too, because I feel like additionally, you know, elephant in the room, the pandemic (laughs) makes it really hard to do some of those fun dates, which means we're constantly basically having like online zoom job interview type of dates. So with that, I would love to know if like you have any, you know, suggestions I guess switching onto pandemic dating and how we can be navigating that, you know, we are kind of coming out of it, but I would love to talk about it. Sure. Yeah. Let me just think there's a couple things in there I want to say. I mean, we can talk more about your exes if you want, but it does sound like you were kind of like, okay, like I have this vision for my life where I'm this boss babe and I have this booming business. And I imagine that my partner is going to help me build that. And now it seems like you've had this really healthy revelation of like, no, I'm actually so ambitious and like on my game that I'm in control of that. And I don't need a partner to necessarily put push me forward, maybe they'll just be my support system. And it sounds like you've had a lot of good revelations around like, maybe I would say like, does your partner need to complete you? No, you're a complete person and your partner adds to that, but you're not like a person with a missing piece and they, they need to fill in that piece. Yeah, I completely agree on that. That's a conversation that I actually had driving here about how Uh, like specifically, I guess, geared towards partnership. I think that a lot of the time, something that I hate, (laughs) that I kind of like trope on in the podcast is how people are always like, 
love yourself first and date yourself first and do all these things and like have all this self-love. And I'm like, I have all this self-love. Like I love my life. My career is something that I built that I love. I like live my dream life. I hang out with my friends. Like I can afford the things I like. Like I have a great life, but I don't think there's anything wrong in being like, but I would, I want a partner. Cause I think that's just like, you know, some people are fine being single their whole life. I'm kind of the person that I would, I want a partner. I want somebody to indulge in this life with. And then, like you said, not necessarily build it for me, but support me in it. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I was just having this conversation on Twitter where my book is called How to Not Die Alone. And always people will write like, you know what? I'm actually perfectly fine dying alone. And then I'm like, great, that's your right. It doesn't mean everyone needs to find a partner. The book is about if you feel frustrated that you're not getting the results you want, here are the things that might be holding you back and how to change them. But I think that the best way to find someone is to say, I love myself, I love my life, and I want to live an even greater, juicier life with somebody else, as opposed to I'm unhappy with who I am. And maybe if I find this person, then I will self-actualize, then I'll like myself. And that just usually doesn't work out because people are drawn to people who are happy within themselves, not someone who's incomplete and trying to use that other person to complete themselves. I completely agree on that. And I think that thinking kind of is where I get met with a lot of resistance online of people being like, love yourself first and you don't need a man and you don't need a da 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 And... I think a lot of that might come from like self-projecting, who knows, but I, like I said, I'm comfortable in my life. Like if I necessarily wanted somebody to complete my life, like I don't think I would have stayed single in these past almost (laughs) three years, you know, like I would have settled on something that was, I guess, whatever I needed in the moment. Absolutely right. It takes self-confidence to actually take a step back. I mean, even the first thing that you told me that you're taking the six months off from dating, like you have an abundance mindset. You have the view that if you take time off from dating, when you're ready to get back out there, someone's going to be there for you, as opposed to somebody coming from a scarcity mindset who's like, what if my dream person gets swooped up in those six months and I never got the chance to meet him? Like, that's just a totally different way of looking at dating. And I think the way you're approaching it makes a lot of sense, which is let me do the self-worth, self-work, let me get really intentional. And then when I'm ready to get back out there, I'm going to actually be meeting somebody from a place where I feel really good. And I'm not just like trying to fill this hole in my life. Absolutely. I, uh, before the dating detox, I think I was still kind of on that path of almost trying to fill people in my life in that like little bits of ways. I actually have talked about this too on the podcast where I almost feel like because I'm so successful in other areas of my life, like Mm -hmm. in my career Mm -hmm. and my X, Y, Z, it almost feels like there's a spotlight on my -hmm. lack of relationship, which I think then sometimes causes a lot of insecurity. And I think it's actually, it's a, it's like this with a lot of my friends as well, because we are also entrepreneurs And Mm -hmm. we own our own businesses and all of that. And it almost makes dating hard. Like my manager, she's similar to me. She's been single for a while as well, but like she's always dating and like talking to new people and X, Y, Z and same type of thing. Like it's almost like there's a spotlight shining on our relationships because it's almost like the only place that we're not successful quote unquote. Yeah. And it's just like a, it's, it's a interesting thing. Cause I feel like I'm constantly like, no, it makes sense. Like, you know, I'm just waiting for the next right fit. But at the same time, it's like the spotlight is always there. And I'm like, oh. 
God damn it. I totally get it. I mean, a lot of the people in dating coaching capacity that I work with are, sounds like similar to you and your manager, where they are very successful in many areas of their life. And they have developed an approach where it's, I set a goal, I go after it and I make it happen. And love often feels like this other category where you can't just set a goal and say, I'm going to go on a hundred dates in the next a hundred days. And then in there, I'll meet someone. Because if you're showing up with the wrong mindset, if you're showing up trying to check all the boxes, like you could actually be turning yourself off or turning other people off. It's not just a question of, um, am I putting in enough effort? There's something else going on. The other thing I see with really successful women is that it's so easy to just invest in your career because it's like, if I spend five more hours working on my podcast this week and then I rise through the rankings or I get more followers, like there's a very clear output for the input. But dating is not like that. Sometimes you have to spend a lot of hours, you know, kissing a lot of frogs before it works out. And so just want to say, like, I absolutely know kind of the demographic you're describing. And I think a lot of times it does take kind of a humbling to say, I know that I'd rather approach it from this way that I approach work, but I have to show up differently when it comes to dating. Yes, I think that is a big like mindset shift reset situation that I've been kind of going through. I think that also like piling on the pandemic and all of that and like basically like fighting to have to make things work because the world outside is wild was approaching like love and relationships and whatnot like that. And it's funny because we have a podcast episode called 50 Dates in 50 Days, where one of my friends talked about how she went on 50 Dates in 50 Days and all of that. Obviously, she's not dating any of those people, but I went through a similar thing too. Like I did 12 dates in 12 days and it was almost like that type of approach. Like here's the goal, go on the dates. And then, you know, statistically one of them has to work out and it's just like not like that, (laughs) but kind of is. I feel like I learned a lot from doing that, like going on Mm -hmm, the speed dates mm -hmm. and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it does come down to like, you know, the actual people that I'm seeing, but I feel like it kind of made me a better date-er. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And I think a lot of this is like an art and a science. And so let's say that I was talking to somebody and I was asking them questions and I'm looking for things that they're doing wrong. And so I'm saying, do they have a very specific view of this person's physical appearance or are they more open-minded? Are they checking the box or are they paying attention to how they feel around the person? And it might be the case where I'm like, I think you're literally doing everything right you could possibly do. It's just putting yourself out there, going on more dates and eventually you'll meet someone. And so for that person, I think 12 dates in 12 days, if they can handle that emotionally would work well. There's other people I speak to and I'm like, okay, you have a lot of hiccups. There's a lot of things holding you back. You have a lot of misperceptions around dating and love. And I think you could go on those 12 dates in 12 days and not connect with anyone because your mindset is wrong. Your expectations are off and all of that. And so the effort piece is critical, but effort on its own is not enough because so much of it is your mindset. I love that. It absolutely is mindset. And it's stuff that's something that we also talk about on the podcast and just on social media in general. A lot of the time is mindset about everything. And it's funny that you also bring that up because I was talking about that when we drove up as well about how I was like, I don't know if maybe because I feel like I can attract like opportunities and money and all of this like super easily. But I was thinking, I was like, maybe subconsciously my mindset around like partnership is that like, I don't necessarily deserve the partner that I think I, that I do. And maybe that's a big reason as to why it's just like currently not working out for me. Cause I'm like in my own way. Yeah. So how does that play out for you on a date? I think that, you know, this also, so for me, 
I feel like I always go into dates like pretty open. And I've recently also kind of stopped telling people what I do for job, like my job, because what I'm, I'm kind of realizing is that a lot of the people that I talk to, cause I'm 24. And so a lot of the people that I talk to are still either like just finishing school or they are still in their final year. And they're like, wow, you do all these things. Like I've had men literally be like, yeah, I feel like in- incompetent <laughs> because of it. So I think that the mindset are around it almost is like it's reflecting in the people that I'm dating that aren't I guess quote-unquote like successful yet and xyz but at the end of the day too like I don't think I necessarily care that much because I built all my business by myself right like I didn't need somebody else to do it for me so I don't really necessarily care if you're this crazy entrepreneurial super successful person either I just want like a, a partnership like a it wouldn't matter if I was doing this or like if I was doing a corporate job type of thing. Like I just want like a partner in life outside of business. And I almost feel like my business is getting in the way of my dating life. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there to unpack, but what I would say is I think that because your business is so important to you and being an entrepreneur is such a big part of your identity, you absolutely need a person who can hang with that. And so what that means to me is someone who's not intimidated by your work, someone who doesn't feel like, your success is somehow, you know, a sign against them or that you're competitive, but you also don't need someone who's going to be like your pseudo coach or manager. It's basically somebody who is by your side and helps you live your best life, but they don't have to necessarily be the one pushing you, but they also have to be the one kind of feeling anxious about it. It's basically like, can they let you be the best version of you? Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. It does. I think that that's like the biggest thing is in my past partners, like I would have partners that were super supportive, but like had no drive to do things for themselves or had all drive to do things for themselves and then weren't as supportive. So it's kind of like, I feel like I'm searching for the happy, the happy medium of the two. Yeah. And I mean, I think at 24, you've already had a lot of good experiences and, you know, you were engaged and now you're not like, it seems like you're just kind of on the right path in terms of, um, figuring out what that right combination is for you. Absolutely. And it's just, yeah, it's just been a lot of, a lot of trial and error. And, you know, in the past year, a lot of online dating, which I would love to kind of talk about more so because there was a whole period where we couldn't go outside. We only had video calls or we only had, you know, we could only text, we could only do these types of things. Um, but now kind of with the world opening back up, I've been seeing more of just like, I match with people and we talk and we talk and we talk and that's it. Like we just talk. And it's just like, you know, I would love to kind of know your opinion on, you know, what's the timeline we should be spending on somebody just like talking online before it turns into like an endless, I guess, waste of time of just chatting back and forth with like no hope of hanging out in sight, like in real life and going on an actual date. Sure. Oh yeah. And then I also, I didn't answer your question from before, but I can get back to it, which is, 
Yes, when we are forced to be at home for pandemic safety reasons, it can feel like these Zoom dates just feel like another work call, especially if you're someone who works from home. And so from four to five, you have your last work meeting of the day. And then at 5.05, you sign into the Zoom meeting and it's a date, but it feels like just another uh-huh. just another work meeting. And that's definitely something I've seen. And so what I would say is, how can you mix things up? How can you make it more fun? And so one thing you could do is you could do a phone call instead of a Zoom date and you could both go on walks of your neighborhood and maybe you're describing what you see or describing a flower or taking pictures or saying, you know, now I'm passing this person on the street who's doing this ridiculous thing, whatever it is. It's like you're basically getting out into your environment and living even though you can't physically be with that person. Or maybe you do the same thing, but on FaceTime and you're actually having the video out and you're saying, here's what's, here's what I'm seeing as I go. Maybe you play an online game together where you can be competitive or you can be collaborative, but basically say, I'm going to refuse to just do the regular old Zoom date where it feels like an interview and I'm going to insert a sense of play and fun and serendipity into it. I love that. <laughs> I love that you brought up um, the like playing an online game or something together because I actually did that recently. Um, I on this trip, we've been playing like Zelda on the Switch so much, but I'd been talking. This is funny because I was almost in like an endless talking loop with this guy because not only does he live in a different province, but when we started kind of talking kind of like being like, Oh yeah, like we'll be in this place. Like we'll hang out is when the pandemic hit. So it was like, not only can I not travel, we don't live in the same place. So we were in that endless talking loop, but we hopped on like a discord and like played a game uh, over the weekend. And it was so fun. Like it was so much fun. It's something I never considered. And it almost made it kind of feel like a date but not in like the Zoom call job interview way. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a great example. And I could see someone being like, I'm looking for my partner. I'm looking for a serious relationship. Like, why would I play a game with them? That's just going to be a distraction. And it's, it's actually the opposite. It's that... When you're dating someone, when you're in a relationship, you're spending a lot of time with them and you want to see what side of you they bring out. You want to see what it'd be like to just hang out with them casually. And so creating this environment that lets you get at that in a more natural way is a lot better than just sitting across from each other saying, oh, what did you study in college? How many siblings do you have? Because like that's a very kind of false setup as opposed to what would it feel like just to spend time with you? That's like a super, I guess, interesting point as well. And it's just, I don't know, it's just been a wild ride. I feel like my same actual friend that I was talking about earlier, who is super witty on Hinge, she's had like fun dates where like her date has sent her like cocktail kits and they've done like a cocktail Zoom date type of thing as well. But I wonder also too, like how does that translate into after we can start seeing each other again type of thing? you know, how you go from the offline or online to the offline when you've just been online dating. I think that's great. I mean, what I hear from that is that this person is putting in creativity. This person's putting in effort. This person's saying like, I really care about this and I want it to go well. And I'm going to invest time and resources into doing that. And I think that if you think about what makes people connect, it's often lowering your defenses, sharing an experience, being silly. I have this friend who I interviewed for my book, who's an artist and a poet, and he's just has a very creative way of seeing the world. And 
I went over his house over to his house for lunch to interview him about what makes a great date. And he made us dumplings. And as we were sitting there eating the dumplings and I was saying like, what would be a great date? He was like, honestly, something like this, like who can take themselves too seriously when you have soy sauce dripping down your face and you're sharing um, food together. And I just thought it was a very poignant point, which is that if you actually have an environment where you can be silly and you can collaborate you're going to be way more yourself than if you feel like you're sitting up straight and hoping you're getting the answers right. And so I love that that person sent a cocktail mix because I think that that person fundamentally understands what makes a good date versus what makes a date that feels like the other 20 dates that your friend has maybe been on during the pandemic. Absolutely. And uh, I think that there are a lot more fun people just like, I feel like took time to get adjusted to being innovative online because they were so used to doing things in real life and like having those types of options that then you were like, what the heck do I do? Like, (laughs) I didn't even know these things online existed before and like doing like all of these like fun date things online. But with like everything opening back up, it definitely, I think will open kind of the door more to in real life dates again. Um, But something I actually would like to ask and to kind of touch on is so I'm in my mid twenties right now, which I feel like is such a weird limbo time (laughs) where it's either half of the people that I know are buying houses and getting married. And half of the people I know are just like, I'm going to have a college mindset until I turn 35 and, you know, never take anything too seriously. And honestly, I feel like it's kind of rough out there <laughs> for dating right now. So I would love to know, is there anything that we can do to like position ourselves online better to like, I guess, give subtle nods to being like, I'm looking for a relationship or do we, is subtlety just not even the option? Should we be forward about it? Or, you know, how do we, I guess, how do we navigate through all of the people who only want to hook up versus like finding the people who like you actually could go on a date with. And then I guess furthermore to that, one of my biggest things is there's other people that I meet that are like, oh yeah, well it started as a hookup and then turned into a relationship. So I know those are kind of two different topics, but I would love to talk about the first one. (laughs) Yeah. I love the first one. And we just did research on this at Hinge. So it's great timing. Basically we ran an experiment where we put together profiles. And sometimes the profiles would be really explicit and say, I'm looking for a relationship. You know, I want to get into something serious with someone. And sometimes the profiles would just say like, I'm looking for a kind person who I can laugh with. And what we found was that when the people looking at these profiles and we, we brought them in and they understood that they were, um, you know, fake profiles, um, who were they more interested in dating? And if you're looking for a relationship, when somebody calls out that they're also looking for a relationship, you like them more. And so the takeaway there is that being more intentional from the beginning about what you're looking for is a really good strategy because people who aren't looking for a relationship will be turned off, but people who are looking for a relationship will be turned on. And so you're actually just making dating more efficient for yourself because you're going to get more messages from the type of people you want to hear from, and you're going to be filtering out the people who aren't looking for a relationship. And so, of course, it can feel scary and vulnerable to be upfront from the beginning about what you want. But what we're finding is that that's actually a really good technique for focusing on the people who are looking for the same thing. Okay. I think that's really interesting because I think one of the biggest fears that I have is that me being like, oh, I'm looking for a relationship is like repelling 
people, but I never really thought of it in that sense. I guess I kind of always thought that if I was like, oh, I'm looking for a relationship, I was missing out. Like I literally had FOMO of like the people I could be meeting that I almost, I guess, in my head would be like, but if I met them, maybe they would change their mind type of thing. And so I feel like it's almost, I guess, counterproductive (laughs) in a way where I'm constantly chasing people who don't want the same thing as me. And so I think that that's really interesting, I guess, going forward of just being like upfront and honest and clear, especially too, because now you guys just did like a, like an experiment on it and found that it did kind of help. (laughs) Yeah. I think the way you said it is, is, is exactly right. Which is when you put something out there that is going to not interest some people, you are lowering the total quantity of people who might be interested in you. And so let's say you write something like, um, I know I want to have kids. Okay. Well, a person who doesn't want to have kids may not pursue you, but in the end, isn't that saving you time? And so I think being more bold about being about what you're looking for, it shouldn't create FOMO. It should actually create a sense of, wow, I'm going to have more dates that lead to the type of relationship I want because I was upfront from the beginning. And so, yeah, I'd really reinforce that message of turn the wrong people off and turn the right people on. I find that you know, a really good point as well, because I feel like I'm having endless conversation loops with people being like, so what are you on hinge for? Or like, what are you looking for? Or X, Y, Z. And then it turns into me being like, well, I'm just kind of seeing who's out there, but I I would like a relationship that then turns into basically wasting my time when they're like, yeah, I'm not looking for anything serious. And so I think, yeah, just by putting it out there, it eliminates that whole conversation loop. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the nuance of the second part of your question was, do people always know what they want? Aren't there people who are, aren't looking for something serious, but then it turns into something serious. And yes, that is true. I'm sure you have friends where it was something casual. They were just hooking up. It was a situation ship. Then it got more and more serious. They kept dating and maybe now they're you know, together, engaged, married, whatever it is. That's definitely something that can happen. And I'm not saying that every single person on a dating app knows immediately from the beginning what they want, but you know, you're a busy person and you know what you want. And so I think strategically filtering out people that aren't looking for the same thing, as opposed to wasting your time on time on someone who might change, it's just better to be upfront from the beginning because you're going to be surrounding yourself with people who are on the same page as you versus someone who you might have to change. I think that is a really big thing. And it's something that um, we've talked about on, we have a series on here called Shit My Therapist Says, where I kind of recap my biggest takeaways. And that is definitely a big point. It's actually a big reason as to why I started therapy is because I thought I really could control the whole narrative around like dating and relationships and stuff like that. And that if I, you know, met this person, like I mentioned previously, like I could change their mind about not wanting anything serious or anything like that, which I've learned is not true. <laughs> um, but I think that now kind of going forward and being like upfront about what you're looking for and letting people react in the way that they react, like either they're going to be like, Hey, that's great. I would love to keep talking. You're like, Hey, no, sorry. I'm not looking for anything serious. And you like cut it kind of there <laughs> is something that I guess I've kind of learned more because I've let go of the control. Cause I like, you know, you can't force people to do what you want them to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think a big part of this is just understanding that most people won't change. And so 
you look at the person in front of you and say, can I accept them for how they are? And so, yes, maybe they'll become more ambitious or kinder or more generous, like whatever it is. People, of course, have the potential to change. But if they weren't to change, if they were to just be how they are right now, could you accept that? And I think that if people just took other people um, more seriously from the beginning and believed them when they told them who they were, they would save themselves a lot of time. And so a lot of times people come to me and they're like, well, you know, my girlfriend's great for these reasons, but if she were to change in these ways, then she'd be perfect. And then I just like to say to them, well, let's imagine that she doesn't change in those ways. Can you accept her how, how she is? And I think that's true in dating too. Like, wouldn't you rather date someone who's also looking to get into a serious relationship versus trying to convince someone to give you what you want? I completely agree. And I think that comes down to like, there's always like a Twitter buzz phrase that goes around. One of them is if he wanted to, he will. But the second one is like, when people tell you who they are, believe them. And I think that you, I, me and a lot of people I know, like really get wrapped up in the what ifs and the romanticizing of it all and mm-hmm. wanting to change mm-hmm. people and wanting to, you know, live this fairy tale type of life. Not to say that it doesn't exist, just maybe it's not with that person. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. So I would love to kind of talk about, you know, I think I asked this, but it was in a sea of other questions. I guess two-part question. (laughs) The timeline that we should be spending on somebody before it turns into just like the endless waste of like talking without plans. And then how do we transition from, you know, talking online to like suggesting a date even? Like do we as women wait for somebody to suggest it or do we go out there and do we say, hey, we should do this. This looks fun type of thing. And then also too, like, how do you suggest we take it off the app? That is something that I feel like I struggle with a lot currently with modern dating is like taking it off of the app onto like a phone call or a phone number type of situation. Great. I think this is a really good question. So the first thing I would say is that why are you on the dating app? Why are you on Hinge? Is it to have a pen pal No, it's to get to a date and to see if this is a good partner for you. And so in general, I would say get to the date as soon as possible. And so that might mean a phone call, a video date, whatever it is. But really, it's important to transition to a date sooner so that you don't fall into pen palling. We found at Hinge that the sweet spot is around four or five days after you've started messaging. Oh my God. I love that because we have a whole episode where I talk about how I have a four day rule. Oh my God. Amazing. Oh my God. Okay. I love this. Now I can just tell everybody that it's in line. (laughs) You are research backed. Okay. So basically at the four to five day mark, you want to start transitioning to a date. And so a common way that people do this is they say, Oh, you know, I prefer to text than chat on the app. Here's my number. Or, um, are you down to text? What's the best number to reach you? And so that's a way to increase momentum and make it a little bit more intimate is getting out of the hinge app and into texting. You could also say like, you know, it seems like we have a lot of chemistry on here. Do you want to see like how we get along on the phone and you can give them your number or you can ask for theirs. And so really part of that early stage of going from matching to dating is increasing the momentum, investing a lot of time and energy in the beginning. And what that might look like is switching to a phone call or texting. The next thing I would say is that In the beginning, you really want to keep an open mind and you don't want to say, you know, do I have immediate sparks or do they immediately check all my boxes? Instead of this evaluator mindset, are they good enough for me? I would recommend that you have the experiential mindset. You say, how do I feel talking to them? How do I feel around them? Are they 
energizing me or are they de-energizing me? And really paying attention to what side of you they bring out versus who they are on paper is a really great way to make sure that you're not letting great potential partners drip away and that you're not wasting time with people who actually make you feel bad, but seem good on paper. I love that because that is something that I have really learned about myself as well. And it's something that I would love to talk about because on your website, you have like the 10 things you'll learn in this book. And one of them is the why you should go on the second date. And it's so interesting because I've been on a bunch of first dates with men that I've been like, I don't know if like there is that spark or, you know, that kind of feeling where it checks off all of my boxes, but I'll go, I've gone on some second dates and I've been like, wow, the second date has been so good. So I would love to talk about that because I think that a lot of us do write people off after the first date because it's, I guess, less of that I guess we we are not in that experiential mindset, like you said. Yeah. So a big part of my philosophy is that people put way too much pressure on the first date and they expect to feel these instant sparks, this instant chemistry. And that's especially hard during the pandemic when are you really going to feel like crazy chemistry over a Zoom? And so my suggestion instead is to give people a few chances. And so maybe the first date is just getting to know them making sure there's really no terrible red flags. And then you assume that you're going to go on the second date. And on that second date, that's the chance to really dig in more. And if you understand that some of the best people in life take time to peel back the layers, that they're not immediately charming, um, that they're not necessarily going to make the best first impression, you'll be more empathetic and compassionate when you're dating. And so instead of looking for, is this the shiniest person with the best storytelling? And instead, is this someone kind and loyal? And can I give them a chance, you're going to find a lot of great partners that other people would let pass them by. I love that because like I said, I think that a lot of us and us being like all of my friends currently that are single and dating Mm -hmm. fall into that mindset of like the putting so much pressure on the first date and, you know, being like, oh, is there the spark? Is there the X, Y, Z? And so I think that that definitely is something that I've been challenging myself more to do, which like seems ridiculous that I have to challenge myself to it. But going on those second dates and giving those people more of those chances. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think it's ridiculous at all because I can totally imagine one of your friends saying to you, Carly, I have limited time. I'm busy. I have my friends. I have my family. I have my work. If the first date isn't a 10 out of 10, why would I waste my time going on a second date? I could go on a first date with someone else. And so my response to them would be, it's possible that some of the best possible people who would make great potential partners just aren't showing up really shiny on the first date and that it's much better to go on second and third dates with people, which is likely to turn into a relationship than just go on a slew of first dates waiting to have this, you know, magnetic uh, butterflies feeling, which just may never come. I absolutely agree with that. And so something that we kind of briefly mentioned, which is the spark and all of that, um, we actually had an audience question, which is, is chemistry real and what happens if it's missing? And I know that in this like little 10 things that you'll learn in the book, it, you also say that the spark is a myth. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Absolutely. Yes. And so in my book, I talk about three myths of the spark. And the first one is that if you don't have the spark, then you'll never have it. And that's just not true. We find that a lot of times it takes people time to get to know each other, to relax around each other. That's why a lot of people end up dating people they went to school with or people that they work with because over time, as they get to know each other, that attraction can build. And so attraction and chemistry and good sex can definitely build over time. 
The second myth is that if you have a spark, then it must be a good thing. And we just know that that's not true. Sometimes the people who are the sparkiest are narcissistic or a little manipulative. And what they're really good at is getting people to like them. That's not the same as being a great partner. And so sometimes you should actually be suspicious of the spark because it might mean more about who that person is than the dynamic between the two of you. And then the third one is if we have the spark, then this must be a great relationship. And that's also not true. A lot of now divorced couples once had the spark. And so people end up staying in the wrong relationship because they met the quote unquote right way. And you should really be skeptical. Even if you have an amazing beginning to the relationship, check in with yourself and say, is this the right relationship I want to be in? Or do I just love our how we met story? That is a, an incredibly good point. I have a friend right now who's like going through this dating frenzy because she just came out of her long-term relationship, had only dated two people, had only like slept with two people like type of thing. And now she's going at it. And uh, it's funny because she continues to have I guess, like you said, like these like spark one-off meetings, like it's really exciting for a couple days and then it's not anymore. And I keep telling her, this is like advice that I had to tell myself when I was in her shoes, but I keep telling her that a candle that burns like at both ends, like, or a candle that burns twice as bright, like burns twice as fast. It almost kind of comes down to like the slow burn of it all, which I guess kind of relates to the whole going on a second date when you don't want to thing, because it's almost like if you match too quickly, like if it, it the spark is like too there, like you said, it, it could be a, you know, a narcissistic thing. It could be great. Who knows? <laughs> but I feel like for the most part in my experiences, the, the quick ones that seem like a, you know, a faded type of thing and you get like super like over romanticized about it and the how we met story and all of that, like actually never work out. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, will you say that quote again? Candle that burns. Oh, so it's a candle that burns twice as bright, burns twice as fast. I love that. I think that's really strong. And that's exactly how I feel. It's just like, it's not that if there's a spark, it's necessarily a bad thing, but that if you're really optimizing for the spark, you might not realize um, all of the other things that you are diluting yourself to, or you're not looking for the right things. And so anyway, I completely agree with that quote. And so I think if there's different things that we want to leave the audience with. One of them is what we talked about, which is making a great profile. Your profile is putting your best foot forward. Another thing is making dates more fun, really investing in spicing things up, adding fun, not having it feel like a job interview. And I feel like this third one that we really agree on is that, of course, you want to feel connected to and attracted to people, but don't worry so much about instant chemistry because in a lot of the great relationships, um, that builds over time. Absolutely. And I think, like I said, like the whole slow burn is kind of what I have worked through, learned and been like, oh, yes, like this is kind of more of the healthier option where I get to meet people and discover them versus, you know, just diving in head first and, you know, hoping I know how to swim type of thing. And so I think all of these tips and like tricks and just everything that we talked about, I feel like we covered so many things (laughs) and they were all so insightful. And before we go, I would love for you to kind of speak more about your book and what you're kind of doing, because I, the audience will definitely want to connect with you and everything that you're doing, because I feel like I just got some of the best 
dating and relationship advice (laughs) and they probably want it too. Oh, I love that. Well, yeah, it was so fun to just be with you here. Yeah. So the book is all about understanding what are the patterns that are holding you back from finding love. And one of the chapters I really like is about a quiz called the three dating tendencies and it's three common dating blind spots. So things that are holding people back. And if people want, they can take the quiz on my website. It's loganyuri.com slash quiz. And they can find out, are they a hesitator? Are they a romanticizer? Or are they a maximizer? And the framework of the book is that if you feel frustrated about finding love, it likely has a lot to do with your patterns of behavior and not necessarily just who you are. And so it should be empowering to just overcome that. And so the book is all about getting out of your own way and making different choices. And of course, people should engage with Hinge. I think it's the best dating app. It's the fastest growing dating app in Canada. And if people want to follow along, they can follow at Hinge on Twitter and Instagram. And they can also follow me at Logan Yuri on social as well. Amazing. I'm literally texting my best friend right now and I was like, we need to buy the book and I need you to take the quiz. I think that you're this one, but I think I'm also this one. We should take it. We are on this like dating journey kind of together where we're like, "Mm, we should probably stop doing all these toxic things. So we are, we are currently adding the book to our cards and I'm gonna make her take the quiz right now. I'm very excited. (laughs) Yay. Well, Carly, so much fun to talk to you and I'm really excited for you to get back out there and I'm excited to hear what happens after your six month hiatus. I am hopeful for myself, (laughs) but thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so happy we got to do this. This is such a cool opportunity um, for me and then also for all of the listeners. So thank you so much for hanging out with us. Yes, it was my pleasure. Great to meet you. That is it for today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. This was such a cool episode and such a cool opportunity to have Logan on the podcast. I really hope you guys learned a lot because I sure the fuck did. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys enjoyed it, make sure to screenshot this episode and share it over on Instagram and tag me at Hey Bitches Podcast. I would absolutely love to chat shit with you guys in the DMs about today's episode. Before you go, make sure to subscribe to Hey Bitches wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are an Apple Podcast listener, make sure to give the show a five-star rating and review. It really does help me out and I would really appreciate it. I love you guys so much. I hope you guys have an incredible day. And for now, bye-bye, bitch.